This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Freeway Exit is a podcast from KPBS Public Media about the past, present, and future of San Diego's freeways. Learn the forgotten history of the San Diegans who built our freeway network and the activists who fought against them. Freeway Exit explores exciting and radical solutions for building a more sustainable and equitable San Diego. Listen and follow Freeway Exit from KPBS wherever you get your podcasts. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., they help high achievers enjoy their lives more fully, manage their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Like the old days? Sort of. You're here. It used to be What's Up, My Man? Yeah, that's right. I should bring that back. Yeah. In this interregnum period. Let's start. Okay. All right. I'm going to do it that way. All right. Three, two. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by assistant editor Andrew Keats. What's up, my man? Hey, buddy. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. We are, just for all of you out there that have inquired, we will find another host for this show to make sure that Andy and I aren't the only voices that you hear on the Voice of San Diego podcast. Give us a minute. We got yeah. big big shoes to fill. Lots going on. All yeah. right, lots going on. All right, coming up on the show today, class is back in session. San Diego Unified opened up all schools for full-time in-person learning for the first time during the pandemic, and the pandemic continues the, literally like an hour after my son entered middle school for the first time. We got a note saying that somebody had COVID there, but it worked out. He got tested. Everything's fine. Charter schools that operate outside traditional classrooms online or exclusively online or maybe partly online ranked near the bottom of a new analysis of test scores that took poverty levels into account. That was an effort we undertook as part of our annual Parents Guide. We're going to talk about that. The Parents Guide to Public Schools is out. We'll walk you through how to navigate all the schooling options in San Diego. There's a bunch of new Options with this was needed more than ever. There's so many things at play, and we added some new features. Very excited about that. We're going to talk about schools a lot. But first, the County Board of Supervisors voted Tuesday to declare misinformation a public health crisis. Okay. Did, it, did misinformation have a response? What are the doctors doing about it? Yeah. What if, are, let's vaccinate against the misinformation. Yeah, let's let's get an antidote for the for misinformation. Uh, we can break this down. I didn't really see much in there except a bullet point list 
of what they were trying to do, which was like improve communications and stuff like that. Clarified nothing to me about how they couldn't address those bullet points previously or how they will now. Here's, I, I don't get it at all, but I, that's okay. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, a version of this that, that is um, general and sincere, and there's another version that might be political. So the, the version that's general might be having to do with like, let's people are dying because they're not vaccinated. The people are in the hospital, they're not vaccinated, and we got to change their minds, right? Yes. The other I'll, one. But I, I thought we were already trying to combat that stuff. I thought there had already been a, a pretty robust public messaging campaign directed towards persuading people to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've surpassed the percentage. Every one that does it is good, and the anti-vax arguments are, you you know, uniformly bad. I just don't quite understand what we've done this week on the basis of this vote. If you look at the San Diego County vaccine dashboard, we are like a hundred and seven percent of our goal. Like they've they've passed their goal, one hundred fourteen percent of the goal of the first dose. So they're well past their goal. So they might want to reconsider that goal. Yeah, and if we and we should like eighty five percent is less good than a hundred percent. Yes, in terms of the eligible age that has received at least one dose. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm all for pushing past that goal. Yeah, uh, seems like maybe the goal was lower than it should have been, initially. or they didn't know, or they didn't as they've know, done was, the whole time. It was exactly arbitrarily arrived at, right? There are 86% of people who can get the vaccine have gotten it in San Diego County, but a portion of the remaining group has been making itself heard at these public hearings. And I think that part of the the counter that uh, in particular Nathan Fletcher, the county supervisor, is going for here is to put his pal, Supervisor Jim Dusman, on the spot, make him take a side. Is he with those folks who've been coming to the meeting? Or is he with the public health consensus or whatever? Yeah. And I think he, he made a choice, went with the uh, ant, he went on the pro misinformation side, if that's the framing they were going for. Yeah. I, I mean, it is the pro misinformation side. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I just... <laughs> they came out in force, talked again, again, this small portion of the 14% of the population that uh, aren't into the vaccines, but here they were, they were making their points. And one of them stood out. Uh, it was uh, Ryan Smith. He claimed to be the co-founder of Bitchin Sauce. Now, Bitchin, I love Bitchin Sauce, the Chipotle flavor, pour it on everything. Yeah, it's fine. I don't actually think it's any better than salsa. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. That's a good point. It's fine. Also, if so let's case, do this. So let's do this that. real quick. Spinach. Yeah. Spinach. Uh-huh. Guacamole. Right. Bitchin Sauce. Yeah. Hummus. I pro- honestly, pigeon sauce probably at the the back of that line. Really? Yeah, probably. Spinach got to be the top. I'm it's, a big spinach. Dude, Guacamole and spinach. Yeah, so good. So good. I love it. All right. Those. So sorry to insult the bitchin sauce. And it's a San Diego favorite. People love it here. Anyway, here's Ryan Smith's take. He's, he's, he's at it. Hello, I am Ryan Smith. I'm a business owner from North County, co-founder of Bitchin' Sauce and Good Lovin' Foods. And I want to cut through uh, everything and really get down to the foundation of like what's going on here. And from what you uh, released there, Nathan, it's all about control. It's 
this ends, we get past this pandemic when you've controlled us enough to do what, uh, for us to do what we want, for what you want us to do, for us to do what you want us to do. And that's what it all comes down to. And, and you're attacking the free speech, you're attacking every aspect in your opinion. But the reality is, is there is another outcome to this, and it's these people right here. It ends when we say it ends, and it ends now, and you will be removed from office for crossing the line on the Constitution and our rights. As business owners, as parents, we will not stand for what you're trying The control to he's talking about is, is what I don't quite understand. So we were just picking on the county supervisor for his, his misinformation resolution. Like, it doesn't do anything. It's, 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 at, at, at most, it's just we want you to get better information, right? There's no punitive like, action. There's nothing in there. I don't, I don't really understand. And this goes with the broader theme of this whole thing. I don't know what they're so fired up about. Like there's there is no uh, countywide mask mandate. There is no restrictions. There's Green Days playing at Petco. Everything is happening that you would want to happen. There's no restrictions happening. There's no control happening. The only thing that's happening is they that seem to have gotten re- rather addicted to the idea yes. that they're being oppressed. Yes, they love it. They can't quit it. Yeah, and and I, there is the one thing that I'll I'll grant. Yes, kids have to wear masks to school. Yeah. Okay, I, I guess I don't really see why we have to have such rhetoric about the Constitution and about civil war and, and shoving controls down our throat. Nothing is being shoved down your throat. Literally nothing. In terms of another thing that's not accurate is when he says this ends when we say it does. Yeah. Like, not true. Yeah. Like that meeting ended. He said it was over and it's not. We woke up today. To the same world that we woke up in yesterday, despite his anger over it. Yeah, and there's there's a lot. It, the 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 virus isn't done with, especially the unvaccinated. It is. There are now like 800 people in hospitals fighting for their lives, far more than there ever was at this time last year in the summer of of, uh, of 2020. And and there's nursing shortages. There's nursing uh, burnout. There's there's some people on the other side in the public health world going how. Have you not done a mask mandate yet? It's just like it's like a bizarro uh, dual world here. But just to be clear, so there are a few people now like, well, I don't like pitching sauce. Yeah, there was a, a whole little a little tizzy on Twitter last yeah. night about people wondering what they should do about this condiment that they enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we just happen to have done journalism. That is really interesting and relevant at that moment. Often we don't even remember it, <laughs> yeah. and we s- start seeing the statistics on our website. It's like, oh, everybody's looking at this post from a podcast we did five years ago. So we actually talked to that guy for the podcast. We we had a podcast we called I Made It in San Diego for a little while. It was fun about how business made, uh, uh, entrepreneurs made it in San Diego. And it was the story, actually, of this family that created Bitch and Sauce and how it all kind of fell apart. So this was Ryan Smith back in 2017 when we had the chance to talk with him. And he actually made the point, and they were talking about how he actually got sort of um, removed from the business or separated, estranged. We did not give up on, on life. We just, we let it go and we let 
we just instead of doing the legal thing or bringing police to knock down the doors or something, it was like, you know what, we're going to go God's way. And, you know, my identity is not just this business. You know, even though I was living the bitch in life, I was the bitch guy. <laughs> you are. The- <laughs> you know, it's like this brand was something that I that I built. So um, it definitely was not easy, and you know, there was so many emotions and feelings that you I had to sift through. Like, what is like a sound, righteous thought versus my own emotions trying to, <laughs> you know, because people can act emotional and make not good <laughs> decisions. <laughs> So, and then after the fact this morning, uh, bitch and sauce, uh, at, uh, their Twitter handle at bitch and sauce <laughs> tweeted, uh, at a couple of these concerned individuals and said, thanks for sharing your concern. None of our bitch and owners founders <laughs> attended that meeting. The comments made by that individual were not affiliated with bitch and sauce in any way. So look, you can clear your conscience and continue eating that almond based dipping sauce. Or bitch on, or you can't turn to bitch and sauce for the resistance. Well, a couple of days ago, right before school started, opened up for San Diego Unified, the largest school district in the San Diego region. Right before it opened up, we got a note from the school district saying, "Hey, actually, the kids need to wear masks outside too." Parents aren't allowed on the campuses and you need to opt in right now so that the kids can be tested. And if they're tested, that means they can avoid some of the more harsh quarantines should they come in contact with somebody who does get the COVID-19. So that was a good hello. Welcome back to school. Uh, and it's, you know, they're back. Uh, I had, we sent our son to the middle school. That was weird watching him figure all that out, but they're going. And I think it's, uh, there are a lot of kids going back to school, but most of the local school districts, unlike other parts of the country, by the way, have created virtual academies for people who don't want to go back. Um, don't want to go back for health reasons, or as we found a lot of kids that were just into it. There were families that realized that they didn't want to deal with the bullying they had before, the discrimination some of them felt before, or just they just did better there. So we were all kind of wondering how many of them would do that and how many of them would uh, go back full time. You know, they're in this like, if you take the the logic out far enough, would the, would the kids who went back to school only be the ones that were into like sports and into like popular stuff and the other kids would stay home? Doesn't look like that's the case yet, but we're all watching. We're going to wait for those enrollment and attendance numbers. But uh, that brings up the question. So now it's basically mainstream that there be a virtual option or a virtual academy. And all of the school districts, especially San Diego Unified, are really building out those virtual options. They, they leaned into it. They hired people just for that. It's not, a, it's not run from the, the classroom where, where teachers are teaching live. And they, they made it not just to handle this, this health concern, but it seems like they were also trying to address a market issue, right? Yeah, and I think it would be fair to say that this was a, a trend that had started a little bit before the pandemic and then was accelerated by the pandemic. There, was, there were kids 
for whom this felt like a necessary or attractive option years ago and that certain schools were, were rushing to fill that need. And now the pandemic has either opened more families' eyes to it or made schools more willing to embrace it. But in any case, it's been quite accelerated in the last three years. Yeah, I think uh, R- Richard Barrera from San Diego Unified is on the board. He said uh, to our Will Huntsbury about this virtual academy, he said like, Look, we've learned a lot from COVID and most of it has been a nightmare, but some of it has been positive and creating an online academy is a, academy, excuse me, is a benefit we can take out of the pandemic. So they've really leaned into this and again are, are trying to make sure they can, they can compete, especially with the online charter schools. Now, there, there's a lot of charter schools, uh, Preuss, High Tech High, Gompers, Albert Einstein, all these places that are well-known. But there are also these sort of storefront charters that are mostly online, if not all online. And R. Will Huntsbury, who's been doing a lot of work along with along with the Center for Research and Evaluation at UC San Diego Extension, did an analysis of all the schools basically in San Diego County and then, and then uh, used uh, income levels and their test performances over the last three years to kind of figure out like, A, where they should be performing based on their income expectations, and then how far from that they were. Some schools, as we talked to Will a couple of weeks ago, made the point some schools did really well compared to what they might be expected to do with the poverty levels they have to deal with, and then some did much more poorly considering the poverty levels they have or, or the wealth that they have. And so We've been looking at the, that number, uh, those numbers a lot, the, that data. And out of that, we'll pull an observation. And that's that those online charter schools, those virtual charter schools, ranked primarily or mostly near the bottom of a new analysis uh, that they did. So it, when you do all that that work, those online charter schools didn't do so well. Yeah. And this is pretty consistent with previous reporting we've done that pointed to problems at these online exclusive charter schools. Going back to when Mario Cran, who was a reporter here, did some uh, looked into graduation rates. And a lot of these online only charter schools were sort of credit recovery focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, You fell behind for one reason or another. You needed to make up credits to graduate on time or to graduate at all. And you would go to these online only schools and, you know, he went into one at one point and saw people just blatantly cheating and explained to him how easy it was to run the class lecture, minimize it, put on Netflix, watch a movie, and then just copy in the answers and, you know, do nothing. Um, and then Will Huntsbury, years later, did a different type of reporting that showed basically a, a rampant fraud happening at one of these schools that was operating all over the state, but spe- but also including in San Diego County. Probably that they had to cop to in a court of law after that. Right. And so I just think it's all pointing to one direction, which is that there may be a place for these schools. And I think Richard Barrera made an interesting case for them in Will's story. But we should be clear-eyed about what they are and what they aren't. And I don't think they are what we have mostly referred to as school and that what they provide is not mostly what we refer to as a public education. 
And what people get from them is not mostly what we think of as a degree over the last, say, 50 years of American history. Yeah, so I, I liked um, one of the sections of Will's story where he he decides to look into this and, and ask some of these academies and such, what, what happened? What's going on? What do you think of this analysis that we have performed with the Center for Research and Evaluation at UC San Diego Extension? And then uh, one person from uh, the Principal of Innovations Academy, Christine uh, Kuglin, she says, quote, I feel like it's just a waste of print. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for her, it's not, uh, it's not printed in paper. It's online. So there you go. Uh, she said that, look, we have non-traditional learners. We don't teach to the tests. Uh, and, you know, it kind of drove, drove home what we've seen from San Diego Unified, frankly, for so many years, is which if the tests are good, they're fine with them. But if the tests are bad, they're stupid, right? right? She says, we sell this bag of garbage to parents. The tests actually mean something and they don't. I truly believe the only reason these tests exist is because it's a requirement of government for anyone or anyone giving away money to measure results, which (laughs) like, like you're the whole point of the education accountability movement for so long, which which to is a, a euphemism for a charter school movement in many ways. Yeah, it was to create a, a system where we could measure results and hold people accountable for them and and hopefully improve outcomes for kids. Yeah. And and so now Barrera, what he, you know, he said is ba- paraphrasing is basically, well, what are we going to do? Say that this should not be an option and and not allow it, not provide it? Because San Diego Unified provides programs essentially very similar to this now. Mm -hmm. And I do hear where he's coming from. And I think that there's probably a very good argument to be made that the alternative to kids going to these schools isn't staying in traditional schools. It's nothing at all. And that maybe this isn't a better alternative and that not providing options like this or not providing flexibility like this for different families might be conscribing people to much worse life outcomes than than funneling them into this system. I, I think that's a, a, a fair argument. Maybe reasonable people could disagree, but I think it's a perfectly reasonable argument. But again, we should just lay on the table that the educations that are being provided at these schools, by all available information that I've seen, just don't seem to be on the same level as what you get from school, by which I mean walking into a building, sitting in front of a teacher, asking questions if you have problems, being graded, et cetera. Yeah, and I think that this brings a whole new level of accountability and, and frankly, journalism and other just sort of observation we need to do about schools because if we are going to have this whole world of online education happening, there probably is a version that works at, at least optimized. And then there is a probably a version of just factories of getting kids you know, stamped and getting their money, <laughs> right? And or the money that the state gives them to to the, be in these yeah, places. the money that the state attaches to every student. Yeah, exactly. And so I think uh, bold new world we've started, and and it's been completely accelerated by the pandemic. The teachers union and San Diego Unified and these other districts here have embraced the idea that they need to be present online and they need to be part of that. We'll see how well it plays out.
All right, that work that we did, that our reporter, Will Hunsbury, did along with the Center for Research and Evaluation at UC San Diego Extension came about because we were producing this year's edition of the Parents' Guide to Public Schools of San Diego. Very proud that that is out. The magazine is out. You'll be able to find it at libraries, at some of our partner organizations that are putting it out. Uh, can't thank the Gerard Foundation, the Wheel Foundation, the Nordson Foundation, San Diego Quality Preschool Initiative, the Stifle Boehner Charitable Fund, and the Raymond Foundation enough for helping us produce it this year. It is slick. Adriana Heldes on our shop helped make it look good. We got some illustrations in there. We have, and we have some new data. So we've put in there, We they don't have the updated test scores. So what we did is we went back three years and we got three years worth of tests and put them together so we could show the trends over three years instead of just one year. So if you look at schools, you can see how well they do compared to what they're expected to do, how much how much better they do or worse they do based on their income levels, and what direction they're going in. It's wonderful. Look up the schools you're interested in. Check it out. There's so much uh, still choice available. A lot of people looking at charter schools. A lot of people looking at other schools in their neighborhood. A lot of people looking at magnet schools or schools even outside their district or their neighborhood. And this is the guide. This is the one thing you should look at. It's in all uh, libraries uh, right now in San Diego City libraries. We'll have different events to, to spread it out, but I'm really proud of it. We have a big discussion in it this year about that. You know, will kids go back to school or will they go online? Uh, our Will Huntsbury did a review of this guide and all the content we did, and that's in this week's learning curve. You can check that out at voicesandiego.org. And you, of course, can get the school's guide, at least an online version of it, if you would like, at vosd.org slash schools. That's vosd.org slash schools. Highly recommend it. If your kid is three or four in preschool, you just want to know how your school uh, schools are doing. If you're moving to a different part of San Diego, I hear from a lot of people who are moving to San Diego who use it. A lot of people that uh, you know want some verifiable, good information. We partnered. Laura Cohn helped us do this as well. She's uh, she's been a wonderful partner on this. Uh, Will Huntsbury, all of our writers and um, our creative director uh, on it, Adriana Heldy. So great, uh, great product. It's out there. Andy, you're a fan. You think about it a lot. I love it. And in fact, you know, just head over to the website if you if you don't have the time to. Uh to go to your library to get a physical copy. We're going to have it plastered all over the website. It should be dominating voiceofsandiego.org. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio this week. In fact, it was the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in that setting, at least for the last little while. Keep up with all of our investigations and takes on local news with The Morning Report our most popular newsletter. And if you have any questions, by the way, we're going to turn the morning report into a nice forum for you to ask your questions about local public affairs or anything. And you can do that at info at voiceofsandiego.org. Info at voiceofsandiego.org. That gets us that. Or you can always send it to me, Scott, at voiceofsandiego.org or whatever. We'll get it and we will answer the questions. Subscribe now to the morning report at vosd.org slash newsletters, vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is assistant editor. This show is produced by Adriana Heldes and Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.